Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Let's open up our Bibles today. That's my favorite part of every service. Let's open up our Bibles. This is where we turn our hearts and our minds away from the busyness and the distractions And the things that are lesser importance, and we begin to put our focus back upon where it needs to be. Luke 18, if you'll join me there, Luke 18, the Gospel of Luke. Again, this uh, message was inspired as I was simply reading our daily Bible reading program. And I do want to give another shout out. Here we are about one third of the way through 2021. Can you believe it? One third of the year has already gone, and most of you uh, started along with us on this journey of reading through the Bible uh, completely. uh, We do that as a church. We have a Bible plan that we share on the Bible app, and uh, I would just want to encourage you. I know that it's challenging to read 15 to 20 minutes of the Bible every single day, but it is very, very worth it. And if you'll put that effort into reading of the Word of God, it will be a great harvest. How many know that, that your life is like a, a farmer's field? And if, if, if a farmer has a, a great and prosperous field, it means nothing unless he puts a few seeds in there. Right? You can have an empty field and it's not going to do anything for you. But if you will plant, if you will labor, if you will uh, take care of those seeds and you will uh, put the proper nutrients in the ground and keep the weeds from overtaking, guess what? you can have a plentiful harvest. And the same is true with the Word of God. You know, we have an unlimited resource, don't we? We have an unlimited resource of seeds right here. And your life is that field. Many of you, the reason that we're not seeing the results in our life that we want to see is because we're not planting what we want to plant. We're not planting God's word. And so that's why we do have this Bible reading program. If you're interested in that, you can come and see me after the service. I'll help you get signed up uh, through the Bible app, or if you want to do the offline version, we have that available as well. But Luke 18, I was reading this portion of our Bible reading plan yesterday, and just a story that I've read many times before, a parable that I've even preached on before, but with a fresh revelation in my heart, God spoke to me, and this is the result this morning. I, uh, I heard about this, uh, this fisherman who performed an experiment. It tells of how he caught a large black bass fish. And instead of putting it into the frying pan like he normally does, instead he decided to put it into a glass tank. And each morning he would bring a small minnow into the tank and drop it in with the large bass. The bass would... As always, make a dash for the minnow and finish him off quickly for breakfast. 
Well, after a number of days, he decided he would play a trick. And he put a glass partition inside of that tank and dropped the minnow on the other side where the bass could not get to it. And so the big fish made his usual lunge, but this time bumped his nose up against the glass. And he did not give up easily, but day after day as he dropped that minnow back in, he kept ramming up against the glass over and over again. And finally, the blows became too much. He learned his lesson and ceased trying to eat the minnow. After a few days, the fisherman decided, let's see what happens now if I remove the glass partition again. And now the minnow and the bass would swim together freely. The minnow was available for breakfast, but the bass would no longer make the attempt to go after it. See, frustration had conditioned him to accept failure and to stop trying. Anybody getting a hint this morning? This, many of us are the bass fish. That because of difficult circumstances, because of problems that we have faced, many of us, we fail to persist in the things that we know are right. A man named Lord Chamberlain asked why so many people failed he responded, because they come to the point where they stop. I believe there's people here this morning that you've come to the point where you've stopped. You've gotten frustrated, you've gotten, you face difficulties, and like that bass, you've bumped your nose up against the glass so many times that you've lost heart and you no longer have the courage to continue. This could be in many arenas, many areas of life. This could be with finances. How many know to keep your finances in order is no small thing? You bump your nose up against that glass partition and fail and bust the budget and, you know, go to, go to Chick-fil-A what, just one more time and eventually just stop trying. This could be in the arena of marriage. Marriage is hard work. And when you bump up against the glass of conflict resolution, uh, uh, keeping a house together, sometimes it's just easy to give up and lose heart. This is also true spiritually. This is true when it comes to prayer, to Bible study, to living holy and being righteous, raising good kids. Sometimes if we don't see success after a certain number of attempts, we can do like that bass and just give up. There is this poem I read. He describes the process. He prayed, but to his prayer came no answer and choked him, choked within him, sank his ardor's flame. No more he prayed, no more the knee he bent, while round him darkened doubt and discontent. I prayed, he said, but no one heard my prayer. Long disappointment has induced despair. This is what happens to many of God's good people this morning and perhaps some of you this morning. But in the scripture we're about to read, we're going to find the power of persistence. That often our prayer life will mirror our real life. 
that if you have given up in prayer, chances are you've also given up in other areas. And that's why prayer is perhaps the most powerful weapon that Christians possess, and it is also the one that we use the least. This is why Jesus gave us this powerful parable in the book of Luke, chapter 18. My prayer is that you will hear the word of the Lord this morning. Let's read together Luke 18, beginning with verse 1. Then he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. You know what I love about this scripture? Like the lesson is up front. The key is hanging on the door. This is easy, guys. The reason that we have this story is so that we can always pray without giving up. Verse 2. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? powerful question. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we come once again seeking your presence, your power. Lord, I know that in me there is nothing good, and so I'm depending on your supernatural Holy Spirit today to speak through me to your people, God. I pray for those who have given up in areas of their lives, given up on prayer, given up on reading the Bible, given up on pursuing holiness, given up on so many areas and arenas of life. Lord, that you have called us into the promised land. But God, let us stop wandering today. Let us hear your voice. God, that you are a God who answers the prayers of your people. And we thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' name. Those people would say, amen. amen. Uh, this is a message I've titled, Don't Lose Heart. Because this is one of the great tragedies of the human, human race. Is when we fail to continue believing God. What we're really talking about this morning, what this parable is really about, is about faith. It's about do we still believe that God is there? And that God still hears the prayers of His people. You would think on a Sunday morning we'd have a, a people full of faith, but I know what life is like. I know that we face difficulties and challenges and setbacks and failures. I know that the devil lies to God's people over and over again. I know that the lies that come from hell that are whispered in your mind throughout the week and throughout the years are the same lies that he's been telling for generations. God can't help you. And even if he could, why would he help a person like you, right? Am I the only one that hears these voices? 
And because we bump up against that glass time and again, it's easy right here to lose heart. So Jesus, in order to combat this very common occasion of people losing faith, and it shows through in the way that we lose a prayer life. He begins to give us this amazing picture of a very typical situation in his day and in ours. A public servant calls him the unjust judge. You know, we hope that in a society like ours, we would have judges who care about upholding the law, right? We hope that there are judges who are going to, uh, to, to make sure that the process goes through fairly. We are seeing that even today in our world, that there are cases that are being tried. And we want to we make sure that justice is done. But to ensure... To ensure that Jesus is not confusing his audience, he's not talking here about the good judge. He is giving us the example of the unjust judge. He's a jerk. Somebody's paying him bribes to make cases go one way or another. This is not the kind of judge that you would want your case to go before. He is a public servant, and he is being pressured to do anything else except serving the public. He doesn't fear God, the Bible says. He doesn't regard man. This is not a good guy. He doesn't care what God thinks, and he doesn't care what people think. How did he get into this position? We don't know. But basically what Jesus is describing about this man is that he is a practical atheist. And he might have some form of religion. We don't know. But the way that he lives his life, the decisions that he makes... If you were examining the fruit of his life, you would say he's living as an atheist. Unfortunately, there are many people who go to church in the same boat. There are many people who can show up on Sunday morning and sing a few Christian songs and go back out the door and live as practical atheists. In other words, what would separate you from the person living next door who doesn't believe God or doesn't regard man? How many know our lives should be different? If you truly have, have uh, had a meeting, had a revelation from God, that should change you. Jesus did not touch anybody without also changing them. So in this unjust judge, we have, we have a great example. He recognized the reality of the depravity and the existence of godless men. Jesus recognizes that, yes, bad people can be promoted in this life. People who uh, don't have value for eternal things, and we recognize this all around us, don't we? There are people in high positions of authority, people who have a lot of money, people who have a lot of influence that are bad people and are working against the kingdom of God. We see that today, don't we? If you flip on a television... You'll see it in, in less than 30 seconds. People in high places who are working against God and his kingdom. And so Jesus is purposely giving us a pessimistic view of life on this earth. Isn't that interesting? Because how many know the life that we live on this earth is not the final destination. 
The, in fact, Jesus was preparing us for the next life, not for this one. If we have this idea that, you know, serving Jesus and living for God in this life is going to be all happy juice and band-aids and everything's going to be smiles and it's going to just rain down $20 bills on you for the rest of your life. That's not in my Bible. That's a false gospel. The view that Jesus is painting here is the view of a is a pessimistic view of the reality of life. And that's true. We find ourselves asking questions the same. God, why do I have to deal with a jerk like this on this earth? Here's a, a widow who's done nothing wrong. In fact, she's been attacked. She has, uh, there is an injustice that has occurred in her life. And now it is up to this evil judge. Her fate is in his hands. That's not fair. A culture that we currently live in that is, that is enamored with the idea of fairness, right? Well, I would love for you to find for me the scripture where God guaranteed that life would treat you fairly. I, I can't find it. I keep looking, though, just in case. See, fairness doesn't happen in this life. Fairness, true fairness, true justice happens in the next life. And if all we have is this life to seek fairness, then we are going to be very unhappy people. Here's a, a widow, Jesus pur purposely giving us a pessimistic view of life so that it's a good reflection of the reality that we are living day to day. How many still with me today? Some are bothered by the fact that Jesus would use such a godless man to illustrate a godly truth and make him to stand parallel because in this parable, how many understand that the judge, the unjust judge, is the parallel of God the Father? But this isn't a problem when we begin to inspect this a little bit closer because in verse 3, then we find, we find the widow. And the story about the widow is the story of you and me. So as I mentioned, she has done nothing wrong in this parable so far. She has been attacked. She has been aggrieved. She has, there has been, uh, there's something happened to her that has caused her the need to seek justice. There is a villain who has come against her. And now she is asking this unjust judge to stand up for her, to protect her rights, to proclaim justice against her adversary. She's not even looking for revenge. She's not looking to punish other people. That's somebody else's job. But what she is looking for is justice. See, justice is a righteous cause. I didn't say social justice. Justice, from God's perspective, is a righteous cause, and that is what she is seeking. That is what you and I need to seek. This has been a problem for millennium, a widow. That means that she doesn't have any other representation. She doesn't have anybody to stand up for her. She doesn't have a husband or a family who's going to seek righteousness on her behalf. Most likely, she's in poverty. She doesn't have 
most widows of the time would be at the bottom of the society, at the social structure. She would be probably, she would not have any possessions, she wouldn't have any land, she wouldn't have any property. And so now this widow is seeking professional help. How many know that that is not cheap? <laughs> Even today, you need professional help, you need to hire a lawyer for some reason, uh, that's not cheap. And so here she is, she, she's not able to do that. She needs to seek justice. And so what does she do? The only, the only tool in her toolbox in order to get this justice is, you know what, I just need to bother this guy. I need to get on his nerves. Because that's the only thing I can do. She says, I don't have money. I, I can't bribe him. I can't hire a legal professional. So I, you know, I, I, I can't uh, woo him with my beautiful good looks in some way. She's no doubt an older widow. And so she's, she's going through her mind and, and thinking, okay, I don't, have, uh, you know, I, I don't have anything that the world would want to offer to this unjust judge. But what does she have? She has the ability to be annoying. <laughs> don't you love the Bible? The only tool that she's got left and the only one that she needs is I'm going to annoy this guy until he does what's right. In verse 4, we see that the judge is not impressed. And he refuses to help her. He says, nope. Uh, I, I don't care. Your, your, your case doesn't matter to me. Go away. But I love the fact that she is equally unimpressed with his refusal. Well, I don't care that you don't care because I care more. I care more about seeking justice than you do about putting me away. She persistently pleads with him. She compels him to reconsider. Verses 4 and 5 tells us how he begins to reason within himself. In his mind, it's beginning to change. Even an unjust judge has thoughts in his mind, doesn't he? And so she's continually pleading. She's continually seeking his help. And he reaffirms his indifference to God or man, doesn't he? In other words, he doesn't change his mind about being a better person. The only thing that's on his mind is I've got to deal with this annoying lady. The idea in the scripture is that she's coming to his house every day, standing outside. Please, judge. Please help me. I've experienced injustice, and you're the only one who can do something about it. And be, even though he has no uh, dignity or principles, even though he's not, he doesn't care about God, he doesn't care about anything else, the only thing he cares about is this woman is driving me crazy. So I'll do something. And that's what we see in verse 5. He is so tired of hearing her, he decides the best way to get rid of her is just to do what she wants. Now, I am not saying, please don't get me wrong, ladies, nagging is not virtue. But one thing we can say is that it often does get the job done. 
in this case, she gave the judge a clear impression that I am not going to stop bugging you until you do what I need you to do. Isn't that powerful? And this illustration that Jesus tells comes to a happy ending with the assumption that the judge finally relents and finally says, oh, woman, please leave me alone. Fine, I'll take care of the problem. And whatever that injustice was, he made sure that it turned in to justice and a nice, happy ending of vindication. What a powerful story because it has such a clear and powerful implication for our lives today. Are you ready? Hey there, Sermon Podcast listeners. This is Pastor Adam back with you again. Wanted to just take a second here to thank you once again for listening to this sermon podcast. We've had an explosive rate of growth and listenership for the past few weeks. And we hope that you appreciate these daily sermons to encourage you and help you. I just want to share a couple of ratings that we've gotten in the Apple Podcast application. Clint B. writes a five-star review. He said, I am so grateful for our fellowship. Thank you. This podcast, very helpful through the day. Uh, Bobby Sanford from North Carolina said, inspiring. Awesome to hear sermons that are encouraging and inspiring to the church. Uh, We could really use your help to add a couple more of these very helpful reviews. Uh, These do help us to get the word out about this podcast. I want you to know that we have a truly worldwide impact with this podcast from the United States to the UK, Australia, Ireland, Germany, New Zealand, South Africa, Netherlands, Canada, Romania, Afghanistan, Namibia, Vietnam, Switzerland, Kenya, India, Russia, Hong Kong, Ghana, Uganda, Guam, Meritus, Brazil, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Zambia, Japan, Jamaica, Malaysia, Israel, Ukraine. The list goes on and on of nations that are listening to these sermons. So we just want to say thank you for listening. Make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure that you're sharing these when you hear a good one. And please, if you haven't done so already, make sure you leave a five-star rating and a review of what you like about this podcast. Thank you again for listening, and back to the rest of the sermon. In verse 6, Jesus tells us to listen what the unjust judge said. Tells us to listen to this man. And so let's do that. What did he say? He would not for a while. This is verse 4. Afterward, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming, she wearies me. And Jesus said, listen to what he said. Shall, and, and this is the point, that we need to listen to even what an what a unjust, what a bad person, what he, his motivations in this are simply to get rid of a nagging widow. And in his pleading, he compares that unjust judge to the God that we serve. Are you going to catch this today? Compared to the unjust judge, how many know that God is better than the unjust judge? How many believe that God 
is a far better God. He is a far better judge than this guy Jesus taught us about in Luke 18. If we compare the two, it is more than obvious that the God who rules heaven and earth, the God who creates heaven and earth, that he is a righteous judge. This is the point of what Jesus is saying. The God that we serve is not like the unjust judge. He is very different than this guy. And the way that he is different is that we know, according to Scripture, that God gets everything right. There is no injustice that escapes God's view. Let me ask you this morning. Have you experienced injustice? Have you been wronged somewhere in your life? Has someone sinned against you and made the victim of their own selfishness? No doubt, every one of us, we've been wronged, we've been hurt, we've been, uh, some of us been, you know, have been uh, hurt in ways that you can't imagine. Abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, it goes on and on. And one of the problems we have in this life is that people get away with stuff. Doesn't that bug you? When people get away with something you know is wrong, and there, if there's no evidence, a statue of limitations, you know, there's, there's all these things that prevent justice on the earth. But not in heaven. How many still believe God can see everything? That God can still hear everything? And how many believe that God is still able to do something about it. And if you've experienced injustice in this life, and no doubt we all have, and if the person who has perpetrated that injustice has not been dealt with, I can make you this promise. We serve a righteous God. He is just there is no injustice that will escape the attention of our God. And that's the difference between the God that we serve and the unjust judge in our scripture. And what Jesus is saying is, don't you think that if a persistent widow can change the mind of this jerk, don't you think you can speak to the righteous judge of the universe? Don't you think that you can persist in your prayers? And that the God who loves you and cares for you and has sent his son Jesus to die for you on the cross, that he knows every intention of your heart, that he knows the number of hairs on your head, that he knows every situation of your life, don't you think that we can still pray to him and that things will happen? That the righteous father whose family you and I have been adopted into. Let me ask you, you got uh, children here. Uh, we got some parents in the house, right? I'm amazed at the influence that my two daughters have on our family and on my decision making sometimes. How many know kids can change your mind, especially two daughters, man? <sighs> it's hard to not have them wrapped around my finger or to have myself wrapped around their fingers. Very difficult. Because guess what they do? They come and they say, oh, daddy. Oh, daddy. They almost got me this morning. Can we go to Dunkin' Donuts, daddy? Almost got me. 
But you know what? If they would have been more persistent, if they would have woke me up a little bit earlier, they probably would have done it. It wouldn't have been the first time. It worked on Friday. Oh, Daddy, can we please go to get some sweet frog? I had no plans to go to get sweet frog, frozen yogurt. I would have been just fine to not have any frozen yogurt. But guess what? I had two girls approach me. Oh, Daddy, please. Can we get some frozen yogurt? Why? No reason. We're not celebrating anything. We just want to get sugar. Please. And guess what? There we go. <laughs> and everybody got a cup of sweet frog. And I got a little bit fatter. And everybody's happy. If you love your children, you want to listen to them, right? Don't you believe there is a good father in heaven who cares about you and your situation and the situations you're facing in life? Don't you think that far more than me being an imperfect human being and an imperfect father, if my children can influence my decisions like that, don't you think you can influence the father in heaven? Don't you see story after story in the Bible of how God changes the course of, the, of, of life based on the prayers of mere people on earth? Think of Abraham. Abraham. And God comes to Abraham and says, I can't keep this from him. I'm going to go destroy this wicked city. God was right to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, wasn't he? It was right for him to do that. The, the stench of the wickedness rising from that wicked place. God can no longer stand it. He says, I've got to judge them. There is injustice. There is wickedness happening there. I've got to judge it. But I'm going to tell Abraham first. Abraham, I'm going to destroy the city. And we just read it, didn't we? And the story goes, that, oh God, please. I have family that lives in Sodom. God, you are a God of justice. And if there are righteous in the city, God, only 50 righteous, would you spare a wicked city for 50 righteous? Abraham makes his case, right? He's praying, Lord, you are a good God. You've shown yourself to be merciful and gracious. And I've got family there. And Lord, they may not all be on the right page, but here's what I do know, that you're not going to destroy the righteous just because of a wicked city. God, isn't that true? And God says, you know what? That makes sense, Abraham. I will relent for the sake of 50. Abraham goes a step further. What about God? What about 45? Can we make a deal? Uh, if you save the city for 50, then what about 45? I mean, it's only, it's only five less, right? God says, you know what? You're right, Abraham. 45. And this discussion back and forth works the way all the way from, 40, from 45 to 40 to 30 to 20 and all the way down to 10. God, an entire city. Where I know, God, that there is wickedness there. I know that there is perversion and sin on every corner. But would you save it for 10 righteous? And God says this, Abraham, if I can find 10 righteous then I'll save the city. Are you saying, Pastor, that, that mere human beings 
can alter the course of history? Well, in a way, I am. We know that God is sovereign. We know that God makes decisions. We know that nothing happens outside of God's authority. But here's what I also know. God cares about his servants. And he invites us into the fray to negotiate with him. Have you ever seen the movie or the, the TV show? Uh, you got to help me out with the title. It's where the, the, the guys with the business ideas come and present their ideas to the, to the rich people. The Shark Tank. That's right. It's a fascinating lesson on life. You watch that show. And here's people who are coming in, and these people sitting in front of them, they've got, I think it's four rich investors, and they've got all the money. They're billionaires, right? And so they're going to ask for these billionaires for the chance to invest in their idea. And what do they do? They come before the judge, they present the idea, and then they begin negotiating. Okay, so what I would like is I would like a hundred. $100,000. You put that in this, and, and the shark said, nope, I don't like it. And there's a back and forth. There's a negotiation. There's let's make a deal. Listen, can I tell you, the God who is your good father in heaven enjoys the negotiation. Like Abraham, we can approach God. This is what the widow, the lesson of the widow is that we shouldn't just stay home and let the injustice happen. We can approach God. We can speak to God. Not only can we, but the Bible commands us that we ought to be daily in connection to our Father, pleading on behalf of the needs of our life. Some people have asked this question. Why should I even pray if God already knows what's going to happen? This is a fatalistic view of life that says... I guess whatever's going to happen is just going to happen. Que sera, sera, right? That just, I'm just going to float along and let life happen. Wrong! That is not the correct view of your relationship with God. That we should be in constant reminder. God, you are a just God. You are a holy God. And there is injustice in my life. And I know that you can bring a change. If a, if a persistent widow can change the mind of an unjust judge, don't you think that we, as God's adopted children, can have an effect on the mind of God and the future of this world? You know, when I see the direction of this world, if I listen to the news and I think about where it's heading, I have great fear for my children and my grandchildren. I have great fear for the economic future of this nation, for the spiritual future, for the moral future. It's not going in a good direction, guys. But does that mean that I should just sit back and let it happen? Does that mean that, uh, that I feel powerless to do anything about it? Far from that. God, you are a God who can change this world broken world and so we ought to pray we ought to pray what about you Jesus makes an application of this parable and he says even if a godless judge will yield out of selfish motivations to the persistent request don't you think that God the author of all justice 
And the Father of all mercy will not do the same for his elect. And I want to close with one last thought. That God calls us to overcome a broken heart. There was a uh, cold February morning when a snail started up the trunk of a cherry tree. And as he was inching his way painfully and slowly upward, a wise beetle stuck his head out of the crack and said, Hey, buddy, you're wasting all your strength. There's no cherries up there. And the snail replied with confidence, There will be when I get there. You've got to have this outlook on life. This is a necessary ingredient in our relationship with God. And there's, just like that snail, there's a reason why. We understand that there is a slowness of life. There is a certain, uh, there is a certain evolution of life that things happen slowly. But then, you know what's amazing about life? Things happen slowly and then all of a sudden. That's how it was when you got saved, wasn't it? For a long time, you were disobedient to God. For a long time, you didn't care what the Bible said. For a long time, you were doing your own thing. And then, but little by little, God began to speak to you and convict you and bring you and, and open your heart and do things. And, and somebody said something and you visited a church service and slowly, little by little. And then all of a sudden, the preacher said, if you're not right with God, lift your hand. And you lifted your hand. And all of a sudden, everything changed. Right? Things happen slowly. And then all of a sudden, this is how it works in our prayer life. And you and I, we've got to understand that just because you've been praying to see a change in your life or in your, in your stubborn loved one, just because you've been praying for them and nothing has changed doesn't mean that nothing is changing. If you'll be persistent like this widow, you never know what God will, have, will, will do next. So let's close with this challenging question in verse 8. This is really the point of the whole parable. And the reason why I wanted to preach it to you today. Jesus said in verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So right here. Jesus kind of gives us a hint that it's probably going to be a while until he comes back. We know that those early Christians, they believed he was coming back at any moment. And then every generation of Christians since have said, you know what, I believe Jesus could come at any moment. And I believe that that is more true at this moment than at any other moment in history. That Jesus could come back today and avenge and make the world right. He really could. The question is, when he does return, will he find faith? Will he find a few persistent widows? Will he find anybody here that is still believing enough to approach him in prayer and to cry out to him through relationship? Will we as his people persist in believing this? Will you? Let's make it more personal. Will you continue to persist in faith for the things 
that you need to see change? Because I tell you, the people who see the most powerful miracles are not the ones who throw up a a lost prayer once a week. But it is those who are contending. It is those who are persisting. It is those who show up on the front lawn of the judge's house again and again. Lord, I'm here again. Yep, it's me. And I'm here to remind you that you are a just God, but there is injustice in my life. You've got to take care of this. You've got to save this person. You've got to help my marriage. You've got to help my finances. You've got to help me in my mind, in my heart. You've got to change me. You've got to open my life. Will you continue? When Jesus comes, will he find faith? Or will he be disappointed? Will we lose heart like the bass with the glass in the middle of the tank and after so many attempts and the frustrations? Some of you have lost heart this morning and it's not necessary. You can contend for faith. You can contend for your future. You can contend for ministry and righteousness and fulfilling the will that God has for you. But we must be persistent. God has given us that strength this morning. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we bring this service to a close. And as we reflect on God's word for our lives this morning. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed for just a moment. And before we leave this place, I want to bring you an opportunity. It is the best opportunity that you'll ever have the opportunity to have your sins washed away by the precious blood of Jesus I want to tell you the good news of the gospel before we can appreciate good news however we must also understand the bad news and the bad news is that we are all sinners remember I mentioned that God is a just God God is a holy God, that there is no sin. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.